Hello there, friends. Let's continue to read the Bible together. This is David McAdam, your guide on the one-year Bible tour. We are reading through the one-year Bible together. This year, reading from the ESV version, that is the English Standard Version. The one-year Bible is available also in the New American Standard Bible translation, the New Living Translation, and the New International Version. But this year, we are reading from the ESV. Today is March 27th, and in the Old Testament, we are in the book of Deuteronomy, the second law, otherwise known as the book of the law, the repeated law. The book of Deuteronomy is quoted more than 80 times in the New Testament. The early church found it to be very significant. And as we read from both the Old and the New Testaments daily, we will recognize a good number of correlations. So let's get started by reading together from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. A Chosen People When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons and taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock, in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you, or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness, and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eye shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. 
If you say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them, until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you, little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. Chapter 8 Remember the Lord your God. The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, 
that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This concludes today's readings from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Now let's take a few moments to reflect. What have we learned? In this book, the people of God are being called to remember what God has done and what God has said before they go into the promised land. In chapter 7, they were told never to forget God's grace. Israel had become a mighty nation. Its army now numbered 600,000 fighting men. There was a danger that they could think that God chose them because they were strong in number. Israel is called and chosen by God, not because of their past performance, present abilities, or future potential, but because of His grace alone. The clear New Testament message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is anticipated in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 7. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8. How can you explain God's grace? God's free pardon and favor is lavished upon us because of the person and work of Christ. Someone came up with an acronym for grace, Greatest Riches at Christ's Expense. God's favor was set upon the Israelites because of His sovereign love and grace and the fact that He was keeping an oath made with another. In Deuteronomy, Moses refers to the covenant God made with Abraham. But it is through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, that God finds the perfect obedience that qualifies for the covenant blessing of life forevermore. In the new covenant of God's grace, God lavishes His love upon us and gives us the blessing of a new life, a new heart, and a desire to live unto Him. We receive the new covenant blessings not because of our obedience, but because of the obedience of God's Son. Jesus is the testator in this New Testament, and His inheritance is shared with those who believe on Him. Moses repeats the mandate that there be no compromise with the seven Canaanite nations. The Lord was going to bring judgment upon them and use Israel as a means of doing so. God is loving and merciful, but He is also just. He is the creator of the Canaanites as well as the Israelites. He is also their judge. God brought judgment on the Israelites for their disobedience by having all of the original Exodus generation perish in the wilderness with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. So also the Canaanites, who were given warning but continued in sin, were to be judged by being conquered by the Israelites. In the book of Genesis, the Lord told Abraham that his descendants would be afflicted as strangers in a strange land for four hundred years. This was fulfilled as Jacob and his sons moved to Egypt when Joseph was promoted to become Pharaoh's right-hand man. God said he would bring them out of Egypt as a great nation and they would return to the promised land. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. 
Genesis 15, verse 16. God was giving the Canaanite nation opportunities to repent, but they continued in their iniquity until God could bear it no longer. It had come to the point of fullness, the point of no return. It was at this time, when the Israelites were ready to cross the Jordan River, that the seven Canaanite nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, were to be judged. There is a practical application in that the enemies of our souls must be dealt with. The grace that saves us also teaches us to say no to ungodly influence. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. The iniquity of the nations had been filled to the brim, and the time had come to deal with it. Although in the historical context this was a physical battle against flesh and blood enemies, we know that today God's people war against the fleshly desires as well as unseen spiritual forces of darkness, wicked powers, and principalities. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. The instructions were clear. There is to be no compromise. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. In this good fight of faith, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We are to make no treaties with darkness. We are to show no mercy to sin in our lives. But by the Spirit, we are to put every hint of sin to death. Romans 8, verse 13, Colossians 3, verse 5. The susceptibility of our hearts to deception is made clear when the Lord forbids marriage with pagan neighbors. We are to break down the pagan altars in our lives, such as naturalism, romanticism, humanism, materialism, eroticism, transcendentalism, and all the isms that exalt themselves against truly knowing God through Jesus Christ. Christ is to be preeminent over all. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little, You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, for the wild beasts would grow too numerous for you. Deuteronomy 7, verse 22. We need to be reminded that our progress in holiness is little by little. Conformity to Christ does not happen overnight. It takes time. There are remaining enemies to contend with, and they don't always show themselves. Through our daily battles with temptations and trials, we grow stronger and are further equipped to be able to handle greater responsibilities and take on new territory. In chapter 8, Moses reminds the Israelites that God has been dealing graciously with them. The process of sanctification involves growing in our understanding of ourselves and our need for His life. We need to grasp the fact that our hearts are deceitful and incurably wicked, infected with the family trait of Adam's unbelief. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. God allowed His people to be weaned off their former slave food diet that they had while living in Egypt, that they might hunger for God's salvation food and appreciate who He is and what He has done. We read this important fact in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. 
He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. What kind of food are you feeding on? Where Israel failed to trust God during their 70-year trek through the wilderness, Jesus succeeded in his 40 days in the wilderness. When tempted by Satan to command the stones to be made bread, Jesus retorted by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus did not resort to making his own initiatives. He lived with a moment-by-moment fellowship of obedience with the Father. A question that we should be asking as God brings us through any particular circumstance is, Lord, what is it that you want to teach us? The theme of Deuteronomy is to remember. Remember where you came from. Remember what God has done. He's delivered you from the slavery to sin and death. Remember His holy law and His gracious provision through the tabernacle, which foreshadows the perfect work of redemption to be provided through our Lord Jesus Christ. Forget not His presence and power in your midst. Forget not His daily benefits. Psalm 103, verse 2. A good time to remember God's blessings is when we sit down at a table for a meal Never forget to be thankful. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. Now let's go to today's New Testament reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning with verse 36 into chapter 8, verse 3. The ESV has a heading, A Sinful Woman Forgiven. Luke seven thirty-six. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii, and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Chapter 8 Soon afterward, 
he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. This is the end of our New Testament reading from the Gospel of Luke. The Pharisees continually misread Jesus. Their eyes were blinded by a veil of private interpretation of the letter of the law and their religious expectations. They could not see that the glory of God that fulfills the law was right before them in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Not only was Jesus the new and living Torah, the revelation of God's righteousness incarnate, but he was all that the tabernacle prophesied of a redeeming work that would reconcile sinners to a holy God. He had come to fulfill the commandments of God, but also the laws of the sanctuary, to save his people from their sins. Jesus was dining with Simon, a Pharisee, when a woman who had a reputation for being a sinner came into the house with an alabaster vial of costly perfume. She broke it and then anointed and kissed his feet, washing them with her tears. The Pharisees' religious sensibilities were offended. Simon presumes that Jesus is no prophet because he seems to not recognize that she is a known sinner. Jesus, knowing the Pharisees' thoughts, told Simon a story of a moneylender who had two debtors. One had a large debt and the other a small one. The moneylender forgives both debtors. Which one would love the moneylender more? Simon replies, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Luke 7.43 Jesus affirms Simon's answer while lovingly rebuking him for his lack of discernment. Simon had misjudged Jesus, the woman, and himself. Jesus was more than a prophet. He was God and had the power to forgive sins. The woman knew she was a sinner and recognized forgiveness coming from God through Jesus. She had saving faith, faith in a Savior. Simon had yet to see that his own sin debt was keeping him from a relationship with the one true God who that day had come to dine in his house. Now we turn once again to the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms, Psalm 69, verses 1 through 18. I think we could categorize this as the blues. Psalm 69 is a cry of distress. The psalmist is experiencing deep suffering. He is hated without a cause. To the choir master, according to lilies, of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? O oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. 
When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. The Lord Jesus makes reference to Psalm 69 when he is with his disciples in the upper room. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. The Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 25. The psalmist is bearing the Lord's reproach. In verse 7 and verse 9, he does not want to be a stumbling block to those who wait upon the Lord. In verse 6, the disciples of Jesus recall Psalm 69, verse 9, when they see Jesus overturning the tables in the temple courts. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. John chapter 2, verse 17. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 48, the Gospel of Mark chapter 15, verse 36, Luke chapter 23, verse 36, and John chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus is offered sour wine to drink, perhaps wetting his lips so he could cry out, It is finished. Psalm 69, 21. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. A question often raised when reading Psalm 69 is, Isn't the psalmist's call for retribution on his enemies anti-gospel? Psalm 69 is an individual lament. It is attributed by most scholars to David. He is experiencing persecution and agonizing circumstances. He asks that God would vindicate the honor of his name, calls out for grace, magnifies God's attributes of love, mercy, and faithfulness, and yet calls for retribution on his enemies. Psalm 69 is one of the imprecatory psalms that call for the Lord's vengeance. In the New Testament, we have a greater David. From the agony of the cross, he cries out to God, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. This conveys God's heart. The same God who offers forgiveness promises judgment upon those who reject his offer of it. For it is only through the cross that a holy God can pardon sin. D.A. Carson comments, quote, The gospel announces the dawning of the kingdom, the coming of the king, especially focusing on his cross and resurrection, to redeem a fallen and rebellious people to God. But the entailment of this news is catastrophic judgment on those who spurn him. The same Jesus who cries, Father, forgive them, also pronounces blistering denunciations on assorted spiritual hypocrites. In Matthew chapter 23, the ultimate retaliation at the end is not glossed over in the New Testament. In Revelation chapter 19, end of quote. The Gospel Coalition blog, July 10th, 2011. Now let's go to our reading from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. The truth is, we can learn much from discipline. We should be eager to be warned and corrected. Discipline reminds us that there is more that we need to know. 
learn from it. Let's commit what we've learned to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, help us to remember who you are and what you have done. Let us feed on you the bread of life and your holy word. Nourish us and sanctify us with your truth. Strengthen us with your heavenly food. Give us a distaste for the slave diet of our former life and the world's deceptions. Help us to recognize all that is condemnable and under the ban of the cross. We put our trust in Christ, the federal head of the new creation. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and songs of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us in this year's Bible reading tour. I hope you're finding it helpful. There are some who say that you read the Bible just as you would any other book. What they may be missing is that the Bible is not just like any other book. It is distinct in its revelatory nature and requires the illumination of the Spirit. You remember that Jesus opened the eyes and set the hearts of his disciples ablaze after he rose from the dead and met with them on the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24. There he explained the scriptures to them and gave them understanding. Our prayer is that he will continue to be at work opening our eyes and setting our hearts on fire. If this podcast is a blessing to you, or if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you, and you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And you can learn more about the ministries of New Life at our website, newlife.org, and also subscribe to a free daily email with a written commentary with charts and maps and pictures that help you navigate your way through the one-year Bible readings. The website's easy to find, newlife.org. And don't forget to let others know about this podcast. Responding, indicating a like, or clicking subscribe wherever you get your podcasts will help us in our mission to spread the word and the love of the truth. God bless you, and may he keep you looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Shalom. Shalom.